Hey, thanks for tuning in uh, today and uh, or listening to the podcast. Uh, we are once again have a, an opportunity to converse about things in in life and in culture and how that intersects uh, with our faith. And today I have a, a guest with me. This is Kevin Cloud. Kevin is an author and a speaker and a teacher and and, and has been in, in many different places and and uh, teaching and, and providing insight into some things happening regarding faith and culture. And he is also the author of a fairly new book called God in Hamilton, which is available uh, online. Even uh, if you order it now, it says it's delayed shipping, but we're praying that it, it gets there quick. So Hamilton, the musical, is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, but not just the musical. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, a lot about his book and about the actual life of Alexander Hamilton and and then kind of go into some uh, conversation regarding uh, the arts, creativity, and um, and church and Christianity and how that all kind of intersects. So if we can kind of put all that in together in about 20 to 30 minutes, it'll be an amazing day. But Kevin, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me uh, this morning. Yeah, my, uh, yeah, my pleasure. I'm honored to, honored to have a conversation with you. Via Zoom call and, and technology allows us, I'm here in Jacksonville, Florida, you're there in Kansas City. So I uh, appreciate you, you taking the time. Uh, if you would, why don't you just kind of give a little monologue about yourself uh, and about, um, you know, a little brief bio about you and, and, and where you're from and what's where you, what you're doing now, where your family is and what you're doing there in Kansas City. Yeah, so I live in Kansas City. I've been here my whole life. I um, grew up really not a, a church kid. I, uh, you know, went to church sporadically, but um, in college got real involved with the church here in Kansas City and ended up working there and, and really fell in love with the church and and was a church planner for 20 years. So that's what I'd done for a long, long time, planted four different churches in the Kansas City area. Um, but at the same time, while I was doing all that ministry work, I've always also been a musician and I've played instruments my whole life, played songs, been a songwriter. I actually have a music degree from college. Okay. And so I've always, my entire life has been kind of right at this intersection of creativity and faith. And, and I've always experienced God. Um, maybe, the, maybe the most I've experienced him have been in creative moments, playing music, watching movies, watching musicals just always have a sense of God's presence in those moments. And so that's kind of been um, these two tracks that my life has always been on this creativity music track, but also this ministry and, and church track. And when I saw Hamilton, um, maybe three or four years ago, I saw it in New York and it felt like those two worlds just came into that theater and just exploded in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. I mean, just had this profound experience of God's presence in the middle of this amazing story. And um you know, went home and, and listened to the music as much as I possibly could just over and over and over again, just continue to listen to the soundtrack and continue to be moved by the songs. And then, and then also I read the Ron Chernow biography about Alexander Hamilton. And as I read that biography, even more so learned about this man's life and his faith and, and really saw um, these great themes of the gospel, death, redemption, surrender, forgiveness, grace, really at the center of this musical and the center of his life. And um, had so many conversations with people who had seen Hamilton and loved Hamilton and just thought I, I'd write a book to try to help people connect some dots between this really creative, beautiful piece of art and these important spiritual themes in each of our lives. Well, you know, uh, Hamilton, when, when did it first hit um, in Broadway? I, it, you know, it's I should know that. I want to say 2013, 2012 was, was maybe when the, I don't know if that was like the, the Broadway launch, but that was when they started doing kind of workshops and yeah. And whatnot. But I think around then is when it, when it started. So it really, uh, when it first comes out, you know, living here in Florida, um, 
you know, not uh, to go to Broadway is an air, is a, is a flight and, and a hotel and a plan and, and a vacation. And, uh, and my wife and I have been to New York City. Unfortunately, we have not seen Hamilton live. We have seen some other musicals there, but, but Hamilton is just one of those. It kind of, it kind of blew up in, um, in the theater world, of course, and then, then you know, then there's the off-Broadway, the traveling troupe, and all of those things. They're, they're coming to town. Of course, it was coming to Jacksonville this spring, and uh, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and that shut right. it down. And and I don't know if you've watched, uh, like millions of others, the uh, John Krasinski "Some Good News" um, little yeah. uh, YouTube show that he did. Yep. Uh, yep. There was the one episode where the um, the young lady is so, you know, she didn't get to go see Hamilton. Well, she's from Jacksonville. So she was oh, wanting wow. to see it here. And then of course, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the, and the cast join in on a, on an orchestrated zoom call. And, and I wish I could say that, Hey, guess what? Guess who we have here today? And then hit the button and here they come again. Um, I may edit that in if I could uh, borrow that, I'll probably get in trouble for that. But um, when, so just recently, of course, uh, Disney plus their streaming service, uh, released the the i think it's the a 2016 recording that they put together uh full-on um version of the stage production not a not a movie version of it a reenactment but but actually recorded there in new york and and that has kind of brought this this hamilton um mania again it's kind of a second wave uh yeah. using the original cast putting them there there and so now you know they're on fallon uh, jimmy fallon at home again zoom call interviews and you're seeing all these these things popping up and those actors and actresses uh, many of them uh, all, almost all of them are, are doing other things at this time some may still be uh well they're not actually doing anything in new york right now but maybe part of the cast i know that you have had some contact with with a cast member there in new york uh from who uh, actually i think wrote a, a response or a review of your book and just uh really seeing some of those things um, that, that you kind of unpacked regarding alexander hamilton so so we've got these two kind of tracks we've got this this uh musical uh artistic uh theater then you you mentioned you know well, there's the church and the church and the and art has not always merged well together right. uh, and in some cases it still doesn't and, uh, and I heard you speak where you said there there are always people and we know this that that if you start bringing up a musical you got some folks that say oh, I hate musicals I don't you know they are they just there are also people that hate movies they hate books yeah. and they hate they hate it. there's people that really you know they love to tell you how much they hate about everything but yeah. but how do you what is your take on on the church and and uh, and the arts and how those things can uh, aren't necessarily or shouldn't necessarily be be exclusive. How do you see those intertwining as a church planter, as a believer? Uh, yeah, you know, interesting. Historically, the church in, in many eras was was really the the leader in the arts. I mean, they had the people that were composing the symphonies and and writing the great stories, and and the arts were coming out of the church, and and it was a we were a you know, on the leading edge of that historically. And, and I think a lot of that goes back to Genesis chapter one, where the very first thing we learn about God is that God creates and that God is a creative God. And you have this entire chapter in Genesis that's, that I think is this beautiful poetic retelling of the creation of the world. And it's reminding us that God is a creative God and that we're made in God's image. And therefore we're called to be creative as well. And so I do think it's, I do think in a lot of ways the church has failed in, in losing a vision and losing an imagination for what it means to be involved in the arts, for what it means to encourage people in the arts, for what it means to tell people that when they're doing creative work, they're doing holy and spiritual work. And you know, every time I connect with someone who's doing 
you know, an actor or any, anything creative whatsoever, I'd like to tell them what you're doing is, is just as important as what I did for 20 years as a pastor. Mm. You know, when you get on that stage and you tell a story, there are people in that theater whose lives are going to be transformed by that story that you tell. And God is going to use your voice on that stage to resonate with someone. And it's going to, it's going to absolutely change their lives. I, I talked with another cast member of Hamilton who said every time before she takes the stage, that she just prays right before she goes on stage. She prays and she asks God to use her voice that night to encourage someone in the audience. And, and I love that idea. And, and I think, I think the church, I think we have to get better at saying to creatives, your work matters. Your work is spiritual. When you are doing creative work, you are doing holy work that is important and significant. And we really need to encourage those people to keep chasing after that work that they're called to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I we've seen that even in our own church, just some, uh, I think I mentioned to you, we've got one of our, our pastors on staff that has started a fellowship of Christian artists at a high school yeah, just yeah, to connect with the students. And and many of those students that we've discovered, uh, it's kind of a, in fact, fellowship of Christian artists locally is, is kind of hand in hand working with fellowship of Christian athletes, which is actually fellowship of Christian students. Anybody can go to any of these, but there is that sub whether you want to call it a subculture or a subgroup of the arts group within the schools that sometimes uh, at least from their own admission, don't feel any, you know, the church cares or that they care for going to church or that, that Christianity yeah. is kind of mutually exclusive from that. And yet there are believers that are artists, right. obviously. There are believers right. that are in the musicals and the plays there and even in community theater. And so just to kind of encourage them on that on that avenue, I, th I appreciate what you've said. I think that's so important. Um, the, the creatives, uh, the creation, the creator, God himself, who has put that in us as his image bearers to, to, to yeah. show and to share. Yeah, just to follow up on that real quick, I, I work now, um, I've been a church planner most of my career, but recently within the last year, I transitioned to a, a faith-based nonprofit called The Culture House. And we're an arts conservatory. We do theater, dance, music, and art. We have all kinds of kids programs, but we also have a professional division. So we're doing, we're, we're kind of living in both worlds. But my boss, Jeremiah, who's run this organization for 20 years, he says that over and over, he's, he's seen creative people that have almost felt like they've had to choose between their creative work and their faith and that they didn't feel encouraged or inspired, or even that the church was actively discouraging them from doing the creative work they were called to do. And so they almost had to choose, am I gonna go do this creative work that I really feel called by God to do, or am I gonna stay in the church and be a part of this church community? And, and that is, that's tragic to me. I mean, that's, that is a failure um, of the church, um, not encouraging, inspiring. I, I had another, as I've traveled and spoken about my book, God in Hamilton, I also do these workshops where I kind of talked about creativity and faith and how to live at that intersection. And I had another um, college student come up and talk to me who said he graduated, or he had just graduated college and he was a theater student and he was starting a new theater in his town. And the town didn't have a theater at all. And he really hoped that he could tell stories on the stage that would encourage and inspire. And, and it wasn't a Christian theater company, but he wanted to run the company and do it in a, in a Christian way. And he told me that his pastor and so many other people said to him, why are you going to go do that? That's not, you know, holy work. God can't use that. Go do something else with your life. Go do something important with your life. And and I think that's been the experience of a lot of people in the arts. And again, it is a, from my perspective, a tragic failure that we haven't had the imagination to encourage and inspire and kind of breathe life into these creatives and the incredible work that they can be doing. Well, maybe, maybe we can just encourage some churches and pastors and youth workers and collegiate pastors to, to find avenues to, to connect and to encourage um, our, these artists because there's so much that can be shared. I, we, we did this, um, I met the art teacher at one of the other local high schools 
I've known her mutual friends and we had a conversation last year and I said, hey, do you, would your students be open to creating some, some self-portraits um, that we could display in our church uh, in our front foyer as, as our membership came in for worship? And, and, and I'm gonna launch into this series uh, on uh, identity. And, uh, and it was uh, one of those, you know, public school kind of, well, we got to get permission. I said, get permission. And so, you know, students signed off. And, and, and I will tell you, I had more comments from church members in a very positive way. And because, uh, and from these students, we had families from these students, they wanted to come and see for a month, we had their, 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 uh, their art displayed. We didn't have a competition. There was not, you know, no one's winning ribbons. It was just a display of the self portraits and the creativity and the, and the talent from these young people. Uh, really, I think it overwhelms some of our membership to just, we've not done that before. We need to do things more like that. Um, and that was just one, you know, maybe I did one thing right at that point. So I was pretty excited it worked and we were able to, to kind of, to, to encourage the artists in our community, yeah. these young artists. Well, and, and it's a beautiful example of, of, as a pastor, you're inviting these artists to now participate in the life of the church. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I would, I would assume that for many of them, that was the first time that's ever happened before. And right. they thought, oh my gosh, like I can, I can use these gifts that I have to help other people and mm -hmm. to encourage people. And, and that's, that, that's exactly what we're talking about right now, as far as encouraging, inspiring, inviting participation from these artists. And what a beautiful example of doing that. And who knows how that could change their perception of what their art might be able to do in this world. So that's, that's awesome. I love that. Well, thanks. I, I, I just, we want to, I want to encourage other pastors, other churches just to, to even consider it. Uh, we talk about being missional and being engaged and being in the community. This is an, an avenue, I think, uh, that the door is open if we would just, you know, attempt to go through it. That's hey, let's take a shift over to Hamilton. I want to talk about this. I want to hear some things from, from your perspective. Um, did, curious, when you went to see it in New York, were you in New York to see it or did you just happen to be in New York City and went to, and, and, and you had some time? Was this a, Hey, I, I've heard so much about so, Yeah, so we went to see it. Well, that's not entirely true, actually. So my wife and I, we, we try to go to New York every couple of years. We're both huge musical fans. She performed growing up. I've always been, um, I've always loved listening to them and, and I write music. And so that's just always been a part of our lives. And so we had a trip scheduled and we kept hearing about Hamilton and we just thought, oh man, this would be amazing. But tickets were outrageous oh, yeah. and it just was like, it wasn't going to happen. And, and so, but we just kept checking. We knew when we were going to be there. And like every day we just get on the website and just see, hey, I wonder if any tickets come up or if they release any new ones. And one of those days we got on and checked and they'd released a new block of tickets and they had them at face value. So we got some, some somewhat reasonably priced tickets and, and got to see it. And honestly, I'd heard a lot about it and everything I heard was just like, this is the best musical ever. This is going to change your life. And I, I honestly went into it thinking, like I was very excited, but I was thinking it can't be that good, right? I mean, it's a, it's a musical. And I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. And I'm really, really excited to see it, but it can't be that good. Right. And then I saw it and I left the theater just in this stunned silence. I mean, it was that good. I think it was Michelle Obama who said after seeing it, that it was the greatest piece of art in any form that she's ever seen. Wow. And I certainly agree with that. I don't know anything that I've seen or experienced that has impacted me more deeply. And I mean, it's the story, it's the music, it's the choreography. It's, it's been interesting as it's, as it's come out on the movie. I've had a number of friends who have seen it for the first time. And I, I mean, I wrote a book about it, so they know I'm, I'm a huge Hamilton nut. But what I've heard most from people is just the choreography is so moving. Watching them, these dance moves that they have on stage and how it goes along with the song and the story is just so powerful. And But everything about the story just was so moving, so powerful. It, it's, it's a genius work of art. Uh, but like I said earlier, 
I left the theater not only feeling like I had just seen this remarkable piece of, of work, but I also left the theater with a profound sense of having experienced God's presence. I mean, the show is just filled with these moments where um, Lynn, Moran, Lynn uh, Manuel Miranda actually calls them um, moments of action where something happens on the stage and that moment confronts our lives as the audience and it demands a response from us and it makes us say, what am I going to do in response to that? So there's a moment where one of the most powerful moments I think is where Alexander is forgiven by his wife, Eliza. Um, Alexander has committed an affair and uh, he's betrayed his wife horribly. It became national news. It was the first government sex scandal and Eliza's devastated. She's so angry that she burns the love letters that, that he had written to her and that she had written to him. You can imagine those being his most treasured possessions and she's burning them because she's so furious with her husband. And, uh, but Eliza Hamilton walked deeply with God and you know, learning about her life and her faith was one of the real joys of this book project. She was a remarkable woman and had a deep faith. And eventually, in fact, one of the women that plays Eliza, um, I, I interviewed her for my podcast, for my God and Hamilton podcast. And I asked her about that scene and she said, you know, she said, I don't think Eliza could have forgiven him without God's presence and God's work in her life. I just think it would have been an impossibility. And so she's, that's what she's thinking about is she's playing that moment is working and praying through how do I forgive her husband? But she finally forgives him. And when she forgives him, the chorus sings out, forgiveness, can you imagine? And when that moment happens, you feel the atmosphere in the theater change in an instant. I mean, it's amazing. This, this, I think it's the Holy Spirit, but it's this presence of this truth that just settles in on the theater and what's happening, I think, in that moment is every single one of us is wrestling with this question of, oh, my gosh, am, well, am I going to forgive the people who betray me, who hurt me, who have wronged me? Am I going to um, follow Eliza's example and, and forgive the people who've done that to me as well? And that's one example of many where you just see these incredible moments that connect to our spiritual lives and that can directly transform the way that we live today. I think the, that is, uh, you've hit on exactly what I think is, is probably the key element of the story, at least for me, from my perspective. Uh, I know there's so many other things going on. There, there's the revolution, there's Aaron Burr, there's the, uh, there's the bullet that's always in the background and then shows yeah. up at the end. Yeah. There's uh, so much, but that concept, uh, Eliza, I even had one of our ladies in church mention this. She, she said she'd heard this as a theory. I don't know if it, what you would think about this. She said the theory is that the entire, the entire musical is really about Eliza and that uh, Alexander just takes the front stage at the beginning because it's all about how she interacts with him, marries him, falls in love, and then offers this forgiveness, which is uh, an unearthly forgiveness for all that he has done. And then he goes public, of course, with the affair, just to try to, I guess, protect his political future. That's um, right. And yet- yeah, he's, uh, he's being accused, and this is getting a little more his, history than theology, right, but he's right. being accused. He's, he has this affair with this woman and the, the husband is blackmailing him and right. saying, hey, hey, if, if you wanna, um, continue this affair, which the husband says, you can continue this affair, but you need to start paying me or else I'm going to tell your wife and I'm going to tell everybody. And so it's, it's an incredibly immoral, bad decision that Hamilton's making, obviously the affair to begin with, but then he continues and he's paying money to his family. But rumors started spreading about these payments that he was making to his family. And what he was accused of was speculation, which means, hey, you're giving government insider economic secrets to this family. You're selling it to them so they can then profit on whatever economic decisions that the government is making. And so Hamilton writes this letter in response to these rumors that are growing, basically saying, hey, I'm not, I haven't done anything illegal, but here's what I am doing. I'm having an affair with this woman and I'm paying the husband to keep, I mean, it was this 
and he publishes this letter, um, humiliating Eliza, devastating his wife to save his own political career. And again, you can see on her face the, the song where she sings Burn, which is where she's singing about burning these letters. You can just see the devastation. And I think Eliza's played so beautifully by Philippa Sue in, that, in, that, in the movie that's out now. You can see the devastation because not only has her husband betrayed her, but now he's made a public spectacle of it just to save his own political career. Right. I mean, it's one of the real low points, I think, in Alexander Hamilton's life. And, and it's part of why the story resonates with us so deeply, though, is, is you see the life of this man who comes to America as an orphan and comes from nothing and then becomes the second most powerful man in the U.S. government, plays a huge role in the, in the Revolutionary War and the beginning of our government. And so he has these huge successes, but then he has these huge failures and these tragic things that happen. And it just makes for, for wow. great drama. You know, you said earlier, the, the woman that said that it's really more about Eliza. I, I would say it's about both of them. I mean, it's, it's clearly a story about Alexander Hamilton. I mean, he's what's driving the plot, but it's just as much about Eliza and her life. And even more so the, the ending, I think is so powerful where you hear about how oh. she's kind of kept the legacy going and the story, the orphanage. And, and this story of redemption. The last chapter of my book is about, is about that scene and about how Alexander has grown up as, as an orphan and how that was a real source of pain and brokenness throughout Alexander's entire life. Um, in fact, there was a scene in the movie, I missed it when I saw it in, in, in the theater live, but in the movie, Alexander is singing to his wife about his family background. And you just can see Eliza's empathy and concern as he tells them that his father abandoned their family when he was young and then his mom died. And and you can see Eliza kind of sharing that concern and that empathy with him. And then after Alexander dies, Eliza feels called by God. I mean, it was, it was absolutely a call that God put on her life and that she felt that God was, was telling her to do this, to go build an orphanage. And she, she's a part of this group of women that founds the first, first public orphanage. And she says, every orphan that I work with, I see Alexander's eyes. And, and to me, that's this beautiful story of redemption of Eliza taking this really broken part of her husband's life a, a, an, an area where Alexander felt a lot of insecurity, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of shame from that he didn't come from this, these great families like some of the other founding fathers had. And then she redeems it and makes it beautiful somehow in ways that only God can. And that's the promise God makes for all of our lives, right? Is to redeem right. our lives, to take the broken, dysfunctional parts of our lives and somehow make them beautiful. Uh, that's what God does in our lives as well. And these, these moments, again, they're just at the center of this entire musical. And when we have eyes to see those moments, we can walk away from that story and just say, what a beautiful thing that Eliza did for Alexander and redeeming that brokenness. And, oh God, will you do that in my life? And it gives mm -hmm. me hope that God can take the broken parts of my life and make them beautiful as well. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're, on, we're tracking exactly the same. I think that's, that's so incredible. And, and the orphanage that she founded, I believe is still in, in, may not be under the same name, but it's still in New York. It's still functioning. That's right. It's still functioning. Uh, it's called Graham Graham Wyndham, and again, talk about a legacy. This this organization that's now for 200 years been serving um, kids in need in New York City. And in fact, I, I uh, connected with the president of Graham Wyndham when I was writing this book. I interviewed him, and you know, he said that that moment when he saw uh, the musical, when I, when when she sings, "I see you," and I see in their eyes, I see Alexander every time. He said that that really is the spirit that animates their work that they do today. That when they look at the kids, that these kids in need, poor kids in New York City, um, that are struggling, family issues, whatever, that he sees potential in every single one of them. And that he thinks that um, the work that they're doing is helping them tell a new story and helping them rise above their circumstances and become more than they maybe could have become without some help and without organizations like Graham Wyndham and the people that invest in their lives. So. It's a beautiful example of, of how that legacy is, continues to have an impact on the world today. 
uh, pure and undefiled religion is the orphans and widows, as yeah, the scripture yeah. says. So look That's at that right. as it right. lived there. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I just, uh, the you know, you start with Eliza and, uh, and her sisters and then the song Helpless, which is a huge, huge song. Yeah. It's one of the, that's one of the, on the replay list. I just listened to that one a lot. Yeah. And yet the, this helpless woman, helpless in one sense, then second act, helpless, what do I do now? And then what she lives for, now back to history, I think another 50 years that's after right. uh, after Alexander right. uh, is killed. So yeah, Alexander was young. And that's one of the tragic parts of the story. He was a young man when he was shot and killed. I, I think, I want to say he was in his late 40s, maybe early 50s. Um, well, no, it was late 40s because I think Eliza lived to 97, 98. She lived yeah. very, very, very old. So that would have made, I'm terrible at math, 48, 98. Is that right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Close yeah. enough. So, yeah. so Alexander, I mean, he had years ahead of him where he could have done so much more. And yet this this duel with Aaron Burr tragically takes his life. You know, we think politics today is out of control. I mean, this was the sitting vice president who shoots and kills um, the, the former secretary of treasury on the dueling grounds. And it's just a, just an absolutely remarkable story and that's the interesting thing about that is so Lin-Manuel Miranda he reads this Hamilton book and and his first response is I think this is a hip-hop story and it's so interesting the story of revolution and the story of defiance and how that kind of resonates with with the roots of hip-hop and I'm certainly not an expert on hip-hop by any means but it's so fascinating to me the medium that that Miranda chose to tell this story and I think that's another reason that it connects with people so much is it was such a creative move to tell the story of the founding fathers um, by using the, the the genre of hip hop is just a brilliant artistic and creative move, I think. Yeah, I, he, he's been able to bring a lot of folks who would not necessarily consider themselves fans of hip hop or rap to, to right. enjoy this. Ten That's Commandments right. of, uh, of a Duel is a takeoff uh -huh. of, a, of a Biggie Small song. Uh, so, I mean, it really, as you kind of look at that, which, you know, you're looking at me and you're going, yeah, I'm sure I'm, I'm I know all these things about the Biggie and. Uh, well, and I mean, you're, I mean, you know more than I do that. I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. Look at that. See, so I, I, at, no I thought it was just the Ten Commandments, <laughs> and I looked it up, and they said no, there were actually like 25 commandments for a duel or 25 rules, but he shrunk it down to 10. Sure. Uh, artistic license. Yeah, that's fine. Well, it, it is a musical. It's not a. It's gonna have been a long song. Oh god, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, uh, let's get to the end, please. This one does, yeah. Um but it also there i didn't know but there was uh, and, and i saw some videos and people talking, said there was a, a biggie song that connected i don't know uh, i don't even i don't know enough to talk about it necessarily but there was that connection that brought in that genre brought in that fan base and yeah. so uh, i've even had family members uh, some members of our church and others who said hey do you think hamilton would have been as big and I don't know. I, I said, no, I don't think so. I said, do you think it would have been as popular if it was an all white cast? And I said, well, no, I don't, I don't think it would. I think that's part of, I don't think it's necessarily a gimmick. I don't think, I think it is the, the style of music. I think Miranda's heritage and culture drives this as well uh, as uh, Hispanic, but nevertheless, as you, as you look at this, he's bringing in all these characters. But what I found interesting, this is just as, a, as someone who loves history, um, I've had folks come to me, young folks, and not so young folks said, hey, was, was, um, was this person and that person, were, were they really, were they black or were they white? And I said, well, you know, uh, this, is, <laughs> this, is a, this is the America today, this multicultural right. uh, trying to kind of cross all these lines. When you're looking at the right. pictures of the founding fathers, uh, they had white skin and powdered wigs. <laughs> I mean, that's what they look like. Yeah, uh, my, son, my son is nine and, and he was watching the musical with us on, on Disney and um, you know, he said, how come George Washington isn't in this, in this 
show. And I said, well, he is, buddy. He, that, that's him right there. And he said, that doesn't look anything like George Washington, Dad. George Washington, no. Um, but but the, the line that I've heard that I, that I love the most is that this was a story of America then told by America now. That's great. And I think that's a really powerful way of saying, hey, our country has changed. And um, this is, I, I think that putting actors of color in those roles brings up really important conversations about race and equality. And you see that conversation in the middle of, of the cultural square today with what's happening with, um, with our culture and, and the question of race and equality. And I think Hamilton played a part of that. Interestingly, there's kind of a debate now where a lot of people are saying, hey, this isn't revolutionary enough. I mean, what, what Hamilton doing hasn't been enough and it, it, it needs to be more revolutionary than this. And there was one, I, I actually saw Aaron, um, Aaron Burr, who's played by um, Leslie Odom Jr. Leslie Odom. And I saw an interview he did where he had a, a, a young black woman call him up and say, hey, our friends, we saw Hamilton and we kind of think that it's, it's a bunch of um, people of color telling white, a white person's story. And so we're not that inspired by it. It doesn't seem revolutionary enough. So it's interesting even how much America has changed in the last few years yeah. when it comes to these issues and these topics. But I think, I think that putting actors of color into those roles was a really powerful move. It forced some conversations about race and equality. And I think that they are conversations that, that desperately need to continue to happen. And, and that, that to be honest, as a white male in this country, that I have to be someone who's listening and learning as much as I possibly can about, about the story of people of color and the, the racism that they face every day and what I can do um, to, to eradicate racism in every way, shape, and form that exists in our country today. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think, uh, I think this, Hamilton was a good, good step in the, in the right direction. And now that it's popular again, I guess it was never not popular since it's come out. But I think the Disney thing pushed it really for, uh, up, and especially with what's going on today, everybody trapped at home. Uh, sure. So now they're, they're watching it and they're conversing about it and they're talking about these issues and these themes and they're, and they're going back to the original actors and they're interviewing them and asking their thoughts on that. And, uh, and there's some very interesting, it'd be worth, you know, people to kind of search some of that and look at what some of these conversations are. And as you said, uh, let's listen, let's listen well and see yeah. what, uh, how we respond rather than speak first. I, I think that that's right. uh, maybe that's a quote from, uh, Speak less, uh, smile more, something like yeah, that. I don't know. Yeah, so talk maybe less. we go with it. Talk less, smile more, Aaron Burr. That's right. Less, That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, let me, I, I don't want to keep you too long here. So let, let me uh, ask you a few questions that maybe came out um, in some conversations. To, to yeah. And then we'll, and, and I will put at the end of the podcast and on my podcast, I'll put a link to your website as well yeah. as to uh, your book. And, and so people can get a, get a copy of that ordered. I think there was an article recently on Christianity Today as well. Uh, yep. If not recent, it was, it's being reshared. Uh, and, and we'll put those links there too in the show notes. So um, this was a, and I think you've answered this one. This was one that was asked, um, at what point in your viewing of Hamilton or even in, I, I guess, viewing of the musical and watching it at first, was that moment when you, it was the aha moment, the God moment where you said, there's the gospel intertwined in the, in the midst of this story. Here's the real story in this story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I can point to one moment. I think it was more the entire experience watching it for two and a half hours and then kind of slowly over time, learning about Hamilton's life, re-listening to a lot of the songs and slowly these themes just continued to pop out. And God just kind of continued to bring to the forefront. You know, it's interesting. Um, this isn't a musical like Les Mis, right. where Les Mis is a famous story of uh, where, where faith and, and, and 
spirituality is at the absolute core of that story. I mean, you can't miss it in that story. It's, it's right there. Right. Hamilton isn't like that. Hamilton, it's almost, it's almost under the waters a little bit. Um, I had another friend that I interviewed for my podcast that talked about the phrase, tell it slant, which is an Emily Dickinson phrase. And the idea is that um, stories have this power to tell it slant where it's, it's, it's getting at it from a little bit of a different angle and it's not hitting you right in the face with these truths or these ideas. And I think that's what Hamilton does. These truths, they're absolutely there, but they're a little bit under the surface where you have to have eyes to see them a little bit. In fact, I had um, another pastor friend that I've gotten to know who saw my book and he, and his first reaction was, Oh, great. You know, some guy that's going to try to jam the gospel into this Hamilton story. And I'm sure this is going to be this trite, you know, like let's tell us how Alexander Hamilton is a Christ figure in this, in this musical. Uh, But then he read the book and he was really surprised at how much these themes really are at the center of the story. So that's kind of a long answer, but I would say it wasn't one moment. It was a lot of different moments. And then, and then a lot of different moments of sitting with the songs and sitting with his story and learning more about him where God just continued to bring these themes to my, my heart and my mind. You mentioned that you uh, you've interacted with a, a couple of the actors who are have been most recently on, yeah. on the stage production. Did, would you, you don't have to, I'm just curious, do you know of any where from those conversations where they said to you, well, this is when I, you know, maybe you haven't mentioned already that, that Eliza scene that where faith really has been uh, maybe strengthened through the performance or, or, you know, I'm seeing something in the story that maybe even uh, Miranda didn't know he put in there, but God is doing something there underneath the surface from their yeah. perspective. Do you, do you know of any? You know, I don't know of any from the story. Once one cool story I can share is that, um, so Lauren Boyd is the actress that wrote the, wrote the really nice review of my book. And it's, it's actually on the back cover of the book. And um, what she said was that reading the book actually helped her gain compassion for Alexander Hamilton because she was telling the story of the stage and each time it would get around to the affair and to, you know, publishing the pamphlet to kind of save his political career. She almost had this heart heart towards him thinking, how could this man have done this? What a huge betrayal. You know, this guy's awful. I don't like this, this person. And, but then in reading my book and learning more about his story and learning about the, you know, just the weakness and the brokenness that all of us experience, that it helped her shift her perspective and feel more compassion towards him as a, as a human being and, and as, as a central part of that story. So um, I, I'm sure that everyone that's in that story that plays it on stage has these moments where they look at and they say, what a, what a profound moment of truth and wisdom and transformation. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, there's the story of how the cast still to this day, it was a tradition that started with the original cast, but they all do it to this day where they all pray before the shows and they, they circle up before the performance. And the original prayer was that, that this story would be used to change every person's life that's in the theater, whether they were the cast um, in the orchestra or obviously people that came to see the show that that story would transform their lives. And certainly there are countless stories of that happening. Um, one cool story for me was, as I've taught this workshop around the country, um, one middle school girl came up and talked to me and she said, you know, I was gonna run for student council. And then the last minute I, I, I almost bailed because I was so nervous about giving a speech and I was worried about that I might lose and it might, you know, I might be embarrassed. Uh, but then she said she just saw Hamilton and, or she'd just seen Hamilton and she said, I thought about Alexander Hamilton and I decided I wasn't going to throw away my shot. And she ended up running for student council and she won and she got the, she got the position. And when I said to her, I said, that is so amazing that you were afraid and you were not sure if you wanted to do something, but you stepped into that fear. You stepped into that self doubt and you moved forward and you took initiative. And I said to her, I said, if you do that every single time that you're faced with fear and insecurity and self doubt, if you step into that and don't throw away your shot, 
your life will look radically different 50 years from now than if you shrink back in fear and insecurity. And it's one example of, I'm sure thousands of people say this story changed my life, even in a small way, it changed my life. That's encouraging. uh, Okay, uh, easy question or hard question. You have to pick one. (laughs) One. one. What what is your favorite song from the soundtrack? Uh, Oh yeah, that's hard. You gotta pick one. Um, oh my gosh, I've watched the movie a couple times already, and each time I watch the movie, it's just like, oh, what a great song. Oh, I love this song. Oh, I love this song. This song is so good. Um, so we'll say, what's today's favorite song? Yeah, today's favorite, I will go, you know, I'm going to go with the last song. Um, I think the last song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, where Eliza's singing about the legacy, where Eliza's singing about the orphanage is so powerful and so beautiful and, and such a beautiful picture of redemption. And in fact, um, you know, at one point, the song before Alexander is talking about all the people he sees on the other side. He sees George Washington and his mother and, and John Lawrence. And, and then I think the end of the musical is where Eliza has finally gotten old and looks up to the heavens and has died and sees her husband again. And it's like, I get chills just thinking about it. There's this gasp where she is so emotional and you finally see her, her redemption of being, um, you know, redeemed with and, and not redeemed, but reconnected with her husband again. And it's just such a beautiful end to the musical. So I'll say that one. Another one that, I, that always pops up, and this is my second one. I'm sorry. No, just one. <laughs> you the, broke the rules. The, um, the, the song nonstop, I think is just such a beautiful song and covers so many important moments of the story of what's happening with the constitution and all the writing that Hamilton is doing. And really does capture a central part of Hamilton's life, which is he wrote so much. And the line, why do you write like you're running out of time, right, Dan? Yeah. Like you're running out of time. That was really true of him. And there's a scene in the musical where he has almost this like, it's like a writing desk, but it's a portable writing desk that he carried with him everywhere. It's actually in the Hamilton Museum where he would be on horseback and he would be writing out essays and writing letters and writing articles to publish. Um, but But the idea of the power of the word the power that the written word has to, to shape people and form people and change opinions. And, and, but Hamilton was a prolific writer and a brilliant writer. And, um, you know, the scene of George Washington uh, deciding not to run for president for the third time where George Washington is kind of sharing that speech. It's, it's a beautiful scene in musical because Hamilton, the historians think Hamilton probably wrote that, that Washington gave Hamilton the big kind of overarching themes, but then Hamilton is the one that wrote it. And then a musical, you see Hamilton kind of working it out. And then he and Washington cross, and then they start singing it together. And then Washington starts kind of singing it towards the end. And it's just like a really beautiful historical detail of how Hamilton's writing um, really impacted the country in a time where they needed a a strong, powerful message from George Washington to kind of continue this democratic experiment. Okay, I'll give you two. That's two. Two favorite songs. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Uh, My goodness. Uh, You know, loving music, loving history, loving great stories. Uh, and now all these folks that are finally figuring out who that guy on the $10 bill is. It's an amazing, right. Right. President Hamilton, right? No, not yeah. well, he, he was vice president for president Franklin. No, no, he wasn't. No. So we're trying to history lesson. Okay. Um, your book got in Hamilton. When was it released? 
So two years ago, it was summer of 2018 was when okay. the book came out. Yep. It's still available. It's available online. And, and if you can find a brick and mortar bookstore, you might find it there, but you can definitely get it online. And I would say for those that are looking at Amazon or any or Barnes and Noble online or anywhere else you might order it to go ahead and order it. Uh, it says there, there today, it says there's a delay in shipping, but we're already seeing that some of those delays are not as de delayed as it seems. So get you a copy of the book, God in Hamilton. Uh, that uh, link, I'll put an Amazon. Amazon link on there or to uh, Kevin's website where you can go there as well. Uh, do you have any other books uh, in the works? Any other things you're thinking about at this point? You know, I do. I'm, I'm um, I, so I, I travel the country and I teach this creativity and faith workshop. It's all about how to live at the intersection of creativity and faith. And so um, I'd love to write that book someday. I'm, I'm kind of pitching right now to publishers and trying to see what I can do. I got to sell some more goddamn books okay. before okay. publishers start sitting up and listening to what I actually have to say. <laughs> Um, but so I'd love to do that. I and mean, then I, I also, um, I just think the power of story. I mean, I'm really, uh, I really believe in, and when you look at the ministry of Jesus, the idea that he told stories is his primary way of communicating about life in the kingdom of God. So I have some ideas about a book potentially about how God uses story to transform our lives. So I've got a couple things in the works. And, and the other fun project my wife and I are working on right now is we're writing a musical. Oh. And um, it's a musical about um, a family of dancing bears who has a daughter who wants to be the world's first singing and dancing bear. And oh, wow. so it's kind of a musical about chasing an impossible dream and then the power of inviting other people into that, into that chase as well. And so we're kind of cranking on that. And that's probably the, the main writing project that we got going on right now. Well, that sounds great. Maybe we, I know your time is short and you have a meeting coming up in about five minutes. And I also see the dancing bears on the wall behind you. So I know that you're yeah, that's Yeah, that's my, um, there's a dancing bears is my inspiration. And then there's a clown nose right there next to it. This is a crazy story. We were, um, we were seeing a show in, in New York just last year. And you know we've been working on this musical for two years. And there's some days we think this is actually kind of good. Like this could become something. And then there's other days where we're like, this is impossible. Why are we even trying this? This is insane. Why are we doing this? Um, but so the villain, um, Sarah, the, the, the bear that wants to sing, the bear family won't allow her to sing because they think it's too dangerous. That if humans found out the bears could talk and sing, they'd all you know, lose their minds and hunt down all the bears. And so Sarah runs off to the circus to try to chase her singing dream. And she joins the circus that's run by evil clowns. She doesn't know it at the time, but the, so the villain is called Evil Clown Joe. And um, so that's kind of the main villain in our, in our story. But so we're at this Broadway show and the show ends and we get up out of our seat and that clown nose is in the seat that my wife is sitting in. And we're like, what? Like, how is that? Where is there a possible clown nose? Like, where did that come from? And what we realized was at the very end, there were three or four actors that had confetti guns and they shot these confetti guns out in the audience to end the show. And we realized there must have been like this clown nose that they used to kind of jam the confetti in. And so out of all the seats in the entire theater, this clown nose happens to land on her seat. We didn't even notice it when it happened, but as we're leaving the theater, we pick it up. And we just felt like it was a gentle nudge of encouragement from the Lord of just saying like, hey, you're onto something here. Keep chasing after this thing. Like this can become something. And whenever we feel discouraged and want to give up, it's, it's a really meaningful reminder of, of the Lord just saying, hey, keep going. And this is, this is a worthy pursuit. And so um, it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of my wall of inspiration. The other thing there, and um, I know that this is going long, but the other thing I have there is this is the American crisis. Um, the, the, by Thomas Paine. This is the, the low point in the American Revolution. And it's, it's this writing that gives the soldiers inspiration to kind of keep fighting when they thought the war was lost. And I actually got that in Boston at the actual printing house where, where they did a lot of the original printing for the Revolutionary War. And so to me, that's another, I, I just have inspirational things up here that remind me about the power of the word 
the power of creativity, the power of writing things and how that can change people's lives. So that's kind of the story of what's behind me there. Gosh, I need, well, I've got an Indiana Jones hat, a Napoleon Dynamite statue, <laughs> and a Lord of the Rings sword. So yeah, that's pretty good too, uh, man. That's pretty and good. And then I got Superman and Batman sitting over here. So I'm very, <laughs> and, and, and then my, 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 my theological office is downstairs. So, hey, uh, I know it's long, but it's, I know you've got to go. So I, I'm good on time, but I want to thank you, Kevin, for this. And when you get the, when you get your musical, which is the mashup of, of uh, Stephen King's It and Goldilocks, let me know. Yeah, that's, no. that's, that's right. When we pick to the, when we pitch it to producers, that's exactly what we say. We say this is um, this is Goldilocks and the Three Bears meets it. That's, there you that's go. exactly the, the language that we use. So that's well, awesome. Maybe we can have you on a tour. You can come do it, perform it down here. We'll, hey, we'll, we'll host it. So uh, hey, when the pandemic's over uh, uh, and, and travel is a little more open and Florida is not leading the nation with uh, cases, uh, <laughs> would love to, we'll talk to you more. I'd love to have you come down, maybe run one of the, the creativity workshops here yeah. and, and, yeah, and speak here to, at man. our church. Um, would absolutely love that. I think there's some, some potential there. In the meantime, uh, when I'm listening to my Hamilton soundtrack, I'll think of this conversation, but I'll, I'm looking forward to getting my copy of the book, which is in transit to my house now of your book, God in Hamilton. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And, uh, and check out Kevin Cloud at his website. And I encourage you to, to listen to, he has a sermon on there that he preached at, um, at, at Max Lucado's church there. It's a great message. I encourage you to listen to that as well as... Uh, uh, some other information provided. Thank you again for Kevin for joining me today, and uh, and thank you those who took the time to listen or to watch on our on our channel. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. With you.